the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. Now, this morning, we continue our study by looking at a third qualification for those who handle church finances. Those who oversee church finances must be, number one, interested in your spiritual welfare. Number two, they must be faithful to the gospel. And number three, this morning, we see that they must be motivated by spiritual concerns. What is it that drives a leader in the church when it comes to to money? There's no denying that you got to pay the bills. But if that's the only reason we give, we're missing the point. When I played in our company's golf league years ago, one of the guys would sometimes interrupt his opponent as he was about to hit the ball by asking, do you inhale or exhale on the backswing? <laughs> You'd be amazed at how many golfers would hit a lousy shot as they pondered that little detail. There are lots and lots of little details, like budgets and tax deductions, that will sidetrack us from the real reason for giving, which is to demonstrate God's glory. Welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our Verse by Verse study of the Bible, we have arrived at Chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. In this chapter and the next one, the Apostle Paul gives us some wonderful helps concerning how we make our giving decisions. Earlier in his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul said that he was not walking in craftiness, but was revealing the truth. That kind of honesty is what we need to look for in deciding where we direct our giving. Let's listen now as Pastor Steve explains. Paul said he didn't walk in craftiness. Chapter 6, he revealed that he was poor, yet making many rich. Paul himself was a poor individual. You know that he was poor because he tells us on several occasions that he worked day and night. Somebody who has to work day and then take a few hours of of sleep and then go back to work at night is somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of money because they need more to just sustain themselves. Paul was a poor man, yet he said he made many rich. He's talking about spiritually wealthy. He also said in chapter 6 that he possessed nothing, he said, having nothing yet possessing all things, that is to say physically, he had nothing. He, he absolutely had nothing. But he really was saying that spiritually, I, I, I am a joint heir with Christ. I, I own it all with him because of his grace. And yet, there's nothing I can say right now is mine. And in chapter 12, he will tell the Corinthians directly about denying the charge that he took advantage of them financially, took money from them. But it is in chapters 8 and 9, this is where you should be, in chapters 8 and 9, that Paul lays down the foundation for denying this charge of financial impropriety by revealing to the Corinthians the, the great lengths that he went to in making sure that in administrating the money for the collection for Jerusalem, he was absolutely honest and filled with virtue and integrity. Paul wanted to dispel any suspicions that he had mishandled the funds in any way. And he does this, actually, it's very interesting. He does this by instructing the Corinthians about how they should give their money. He brings himself into it, but how they should give money so that their money, uh, their giving is marked 
by virtue and integrity. And that's what we've been studying for the last few weeks. We've been learning how to make sure that when we give, it isn't just, well, here's the offering plate, put some money in. It, it isn't that at all. Well, I shouldn't say it isn't that at all. It isn't only that. Obviously, that's part of it. But we've been learning that God is concerned about the heart. God is concerned about some honesty issues. God is concerned about virtue. God is concerned about our heart's attitude in giving. And that's why he revealed through the Apostle Paul the various marks of giving when it is done with integrity. That's what we've been looking at. Very quickly, let me just remind you of these various marks. Number one, when you give with integrity, you'll have a desire to give. Number two, when you give with integrity, you will carry out your intentions to give. You will be honest. You'll follow through. Number three, when you give with integrity, your giving will not put a financial strain upon yourself. You'll, you'll give generously, sacrificially, but you're not going to go in the poor house because of that. And number four, when you give with integrity, you are giving with an understanding that your surplus will balance out resources in the body of Christ. Now, last week, we began to look at the fifth mark of giving with integrity, and it is so vital. It is this. When we give with integrity, our giving will be under the leadership of qualified individuals. That's your responsibility to figure that out. Now, God gives you guidelines, but giving that is concerned with integrity and virtue will make sure that those we give our money to will manage it with integrity and virtue. Therefore, and this is the whole point, it is our responsibility to know if those churches and ministry organizations that we support financially, we need to know, are they run by godly individuals who oversee financial matters with integrity? If not, then don't give your money there. Give it somewhere else. Give where there is godly leadership. Because if you continue to give to a place without godly leadership, then you're being a poor steward. God has entrusted that money to you. Make sure that those you, you give to or whatever organization you give or local church that you give, that those who lead those organizations are spiritually qualified to oversee finances, that they have the spiritual credentials. Now, that's what Paul is teaching us in this passage because the Apostle Paul reveals to the Corinthians that he has assigned certain men who will oversee the collection. And these men do have the spiritual credentials. Now, why is this so important to us? Because quite frankly, these are the same credentials that you and I are to look for today in those who oversee finances in a local church or a, or a ministry organization. If, As I said, if these organizations are not directed by men of this caliber, then just stop supporting them. And you have a responsibility to, to know if they are godly in this area. Now, how do you know? Well, that's what we started looking at last week. What are the guidelines? What should you look for? Where should you probe? What questions should you be asking? Well, last week we saw the first qualification for those who handle church finances is that they, number one, must be interested in your spiritual welfare, not your money, but your welfare. Verses 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. Very simply, what Paul means here, and we looked at this last week, is that God had put into the heart of Titus a real love 
for the Corinthians. He calls it an eagerness or a zeal, a concern for their welfare. He was so zealous for their welfare that even though he had just returned from a trip from Corinth, Paul said, I want to send you back to oversee the collection. And he's willingly able and ready to go back because God had given him the heart for these people. I want you to know it would have been a dangerous trip. It would have been a difficult trip. He didn't just hop on a plane and he's there like that. Would have been subject to all kinds of problems on, on his travels. And yet Titus was willing to do that because he put their interest first before his own. He didn't say, Paul, I'm barely unpacked. I got a little bit of jet lag. This is very inconvenient for me. I want to spend some time with my family. He, he was ready to go because he was a man interested in the spiritual health of the Corinthians. And he knew that their giving was, it was an act of obedience to the Lord. They needed to do this. He was not interested in their money, and he wasn't even primarily interested in the in the need being met in Jerusalem. I'm sure he had some concerns about that, but his primary interest was in the Corinthians giving. Now, folks, make sure that those organizations that you give to, church, parachurch organizations, that they're led by men who are genuine shepherds, not hirelings, not people just interested in your money, and that's that's as far as it goes but people who are interested in your soul, your welfare. They care more about your obedience in giving than the bottom line being how much you've given. That's, that's the issue. Now, that's the first qualification. First qualification for those who handle church finances is that they must be interested in your well-being, in your spiritual welfare. Secondly, they must be faithful to the gospel, faithful to the gospel. Verses 18 and 19 it says this, we have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. So they sent a man with Titus who is famous for preaching the gospel. Verse 19, and not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. This unnamed brother, we don't know who he was. This unnamed brother... Uh, were selected by the various churches, probably the Macedonian churches, to take the collected money with some others and go to Jerusalem once it was all collected. He was well-known, Paul said, not because of his expertise in financial matters. He may or may not have known a whole lot about finances, but that's not the issue. But he was selected for his faithfulness in the gospel. And I think that's very significant. This is a tremendous truth, and I'll tell you why. And, and by the way, the whole Christian community understood this. That's why they selected him. They could have selected anybody. But they selected this man because he had proven character by handling the most valuable of all treasures, and that's the gospel. That's the significance here. Here's the principle. Make sure wherever you invest your money for Christ's kingdom that the organization is headed by men who care about doctrinal purity, specifically the gospel that that means something to them, that that's important because if they are not faithful in that, they will not be faithful in money matters because there's nothing more precious than the gospel. If they are theologically vague and fuzzy and, and they're not men who really care about theological crispness, they will not care about your money because that is of lesser value. That's not as significant and 
precious as the gospel. So here was a man who had proven his value there, and they said, we can entrust you with money. You're obviously qualified. Now, this morning, we continue our study by looking at a third qualification for those who handle church finances. Those who oversee church finances must be, number one, interested in your spiritual welfare. Number two, they must be faithful to the gospel. And number three, this morning, we see that they must be motivated by spiritual concerns. What is it that drives a leader in the church when it comes to, to money? Is it just to meet the budget? Is it is it simply that, uh, well, we have to have money coming in to pay bills? I mean, obviously that's important, but there's something far more important. Verse 19, the, the last part of verse 19, which is being, Paul says, administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. Now, with these words, Paul reveals that they had he had two primary purposes in collecting money for the Gentile churches. And you may have wondered, why was this such a big deal to Paul? Why has he taken two chapters to deal with this? Why, why is this such an issue? He tells us here. This is what motivated him. Number one, he very simply and forthrightly tells us that he did it for the glory of God. He did it for the glory of God. Now, I ask you this. How would taking an offering for some poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem bring glory to God? First, let's, let's define what we mean by glory. What do we mean by the glory of God? Essentially, the glory of God is the sum total of who God is. The glory of God is his character. The glory of God is the sum of his attributes. God's glory speaks of who he is. We, we can't change that. We can't take away from that. We can't add to that. God is who he is, whether we recognize it or not. But when we speak of glorifying God, what we mean is that by our actions, by our behavior, by our attitudes, we don't enhance God's glory, but we put that glory on display. We demonstrate who God is to others, some attribute of God's, of God's person. That's what it means to glorify God. It might be his righteousness if we behave righteously. If we're merciful to somebody, we put on display his mercy, compassion, all of that. Now, in this case, and follow me, when Gentile believers who were once despised enemies of Jewish people collect money for Jewish believers, God is glorified because his love and his grace are clearly put on display because they demonstrate his love and grace in their behavior. You may not realize this, but in the ancient world, Jewish people and Gentile people despised each other. The Jewish people had derogatory names for the Gentiles. I'm sure the Gentiles, well, the Bible doesn't address that, had derogatory names for the Jewish people. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, Paul says that in Christ we're a new man, that enmity is gone. He's speaking of the enmity that, that existed between Jew and Gentile. They absolutely despised each other. In fact, there was around the temple area, there was a wall that Gentiles could not go any further than. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that when Christ died, that middle wall in God's sight came down. Gentiles had full access to God. Gentiles and Jews can come and worship the true God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is teaching here is that Christ had transformed these Gentile Corinthians by saving them by his grace. 
And when they gave to their former enemies, they were absolutely demonstrating and displaying this grace, his grace to others. They were glorifying God. And everyone would take note of that. The world would take note of that. They were putting God's grace on display for all to see. And Paul says, that's my primary motivation. That's my primary concern in this whole collection. And I want you to note this. Paul wasn't doing this to glorify any person, to glorify himself, to glorify any church, but to display God and God's glory alone. Now, why is this so important? Let me just, by way of application, bring this out. When you are evaluating qualifications for those who oversee money in a Christian organization, you will see this so often. So often this happens. So often financial reports in a church or a parachurch ministry tend to glorify and exalt large donors rather than God. This is reality. This is absolute reality. Those who donate the largest gifts are often given the most attention and honor. And you know what? That's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Jesus, I remind you, commended a poor widow who gave just a couple of pennies and said that she had given more than all the wealthy Pharisees who put in money out of their surplus, but she gave out of her her poverty. Genuinely godly leaders don't exalt people who give a lot of money. They appreciate it, but they appreciate those who give a little bit also. But their passion is to exalt the Lord, and they see giving as one way to do that. Keep that in mind. Any organization that lifts up one or two or three individuals because they give more than others, that's that's a red light, at least an amber light. That's a concern. The passion should be to glorify God, not those who give the most money. Secondly, Paul had another motivation that drove him to this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. He mentions it at the end of verse 19. He says, and the last phrase, and to show our readiness. Now, what does he mean by that? Not only for the glory of God, but to show our readiness. In other words, this collection was done to show his goodwill. Paul didn't want to exalt himself, but there's something very important about this. Paul did want to communicate something very clearly. And what what was that? I, I really believe that you must turn to Galatians chapter 2 to understand this. It's just one book going towards the back of the New Testament, Galatians chapter 2. Now, the, the background of Galatians is that this church, these churches in the Galatian area, they had professed faith in Christ, but then some legalists came in and said, oh, no, 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 it's not enough that you Gentiles believe in Jesus now. You've got to believe in the law of Moses and practice it. And that would involve for the men's circumcision, for everybody dietary laws, uh, the keeping of the Sabbath, all of that. And you know what? Paul fought that. All of his life, Paul fought that. In fact, we're still fighting that. We're still fighting that with legalists today under other headings. Paul absolutely stood firm on the gospel of the grace of God. And, and in Galatians chapter 2, he speaks about that. Let me read it to you and I'll comment as we go through this. Verse 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So he's going to Jerusalem where this the mother churches, the, the originating church. He takes Barnabas, he takes Titus. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. 
Now, that's important. He said, I preach this among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He said, I went to the apostles and I had Titus with me and he was a, a Gentile and they didn't say he had to be circumcised. But it was because, I mean, why are you even doing this, Paul? It was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. There are certain men who came into their churches and were checking out Paul's teaching. And, and Paul said, they want to bring us back into legalism. God saved me out of Judaistic legalism, and now they want to put me back in that and everybody else. But, verse 5, we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. Paul said, I did not give in. This is a non-negotiable. So that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. While those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. You know what he's saying? Even the most well-known apostles in Jerusalem, and he'll speak about James and John and Peter, had nothing over me. He said, I don't really care. I don't really care that they have a reputation because I'm not a junior apostle. I'm not a Johnny-come-lately. I'm not on the lower rung of apostles. I am equal with them. He said, God shows no partiality. He doesn't treat them any different than he treats me. And the revelation they got is no more God's word than what I received. Verse 7, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, and then he digresses here, clarifies, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked also in me to the Gentiles, meaning that God called Peter to work with the Jews, God called me to work with the Gentiles. And recognizing, here's the apostles, they recognize, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, meaning Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. You know what he's saying? They agreed with us. They, they affirm that what I'm preaching is what they preach. The gospel of grace, you don't have to keep the law, but watch this. All of this to get to verse 10, which is what Corinthians is about. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, this is important. The, the apostles agreed with Paul that the message of salvation was based on God's grace alone and not works. But they said, Paul, do one thing for us. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. What do they mean by this is this. In the midst of ministering the gospel to the Gentiles, don't forget your poor Jewish brethren, specifically in Jerusalem. That's what they're saying. And why was this so important to them? Folks, this is what brings it all together. This is why Paul said, I was so willing, I was so ready. Well, I wanted to do this because they wanted to make sure that Paul, as the recognized spiritual leader of the Gentile Christians, didn't forget to promote unity in the church. The early church was in great danger of having a Jewish church over here and a Gentile church over here. And Paul went to great lengths to promote unity. The Gentiles were to give to the Jews. The Jews were to share their spiritual resources with the Gentiles. So in essence, the concern was that Paul would be interested in the welfare of all the believers, whether they were from a Jewish or a Gentile background. In fact, Paul was so concerned about his countrymen that he said in Romans 9, 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites. He loved them enough that he would have traded his own salvation for theirs, if such a thing were possible. So how much more would he have had compassion for his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ? And a good elder, pastor, or other church leader will feel the same way about the people they're called to serve. We can gauge that concern with a lot of accuracy by how they manage the church's finances. I'm glad you could be with us today for Verse by Verse, as Pastor Steve Kreloff guides us through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to know more about Lakeside, visit lakesidechapel.com or call the church at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. If you've been blessed listening to these studies and the Lord is moving you to help finance the airtime and production costs, we make it easy and safe to give online at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We're thankful for the generous listeners who help us stay on the air, and we do hope you will not neglect your home church as you support this ministry. And don't forget our large library of previous broadcasts, which you can find on our message archive page. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. When it comes to choosing a treasurer, many churches look primarily at a person's business abilities and ignore their spiritual qualifications. That can be an expensive mistake. We have missionary friends who lost thousands of dollars because the treasurer of the church that managed their funds embezzled it. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will share some more about the qualifications for church treasurers. Weekday mornings at 9. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.